Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 12. To Catch a Sheriff. Isambard de Bellarm, it seemed, was biding his time before having another crack at defeating Robin Hood. He refused to go into Sherwood again with any of his men. Abbot Hugo, though, was still hopping mad. He wasn't prepared to wait for the Master of Evil Hold to be ready again to help. It was time to take matters into his own hands. Or at least, to put them into the hands of the Sheriff. He gathered up 450 gold marks and left with two of his friars to go to Nottingham. They would pay the sheriff to send as many men as it took into Sherwood to bring the merry men down. The abbot was getting clever. He knew that armed bands who went anywhere near Sherwood were liable to be attacked, so he decided he'd slip off in the early hours and try to get to Nottingham before anyone in Sherwood noticed. As the three men rode away from St Mary's, Hugo joked and talked of final victory over the outlaw. Of course, the abbot could never be as clever as he liked to think he was. He was still no match for Robin Hood. Even as he laughed and jested, his reins were seized by a man who seemed to come out of nowhere. The horse stopped abruptly, as the man grabbing its reins was very large indeed. As little John held on to the horse, Robin Hood stepped forward. Pull that fat abbot off his horse, Will. Let's have a chat with him. This is an outrage, spluttered the abbot. You dare rob the holy church. Rob? queried Robin. I was unaware there was anything to take. As Abbot Hugo realised his mistake, the bags held by each man were searched and the rather large amount of gold removed from them. The abbot tried to make a play. He said the only thing he could think of that might save his treasure. That money was going to the fund to rescue good King Richard. A lie, of course, and one that wasn't hard to spot. Well then, replied Robin, thank you. We will make sure it gets to its intended place. The money was counted into Little John's hat. Yep, 450 gold marks. Now, scum of the church, said Robin, we will let you go. Much as it would please me to skin your hides, I will not stoop to your level. Much as I'd like to beat you with quarterstaves, I will leave you unharmed. Now, away with you. Get out of my sight. Leave this place and my forest to decent people. The abbot was unsure of what to do next. He and his men rode off, glad to have escaped with their lives. In the end, he decided he'd go to Nottingham anyway. He would implore the sheriff to do his work with the promise of payment later. Surely the ruler of Nottingham wanted rid of Robin Hood as much as he did. After all, wasn't there a reward of 50 gold marks for the capture of the man and lesser amounts for his key followers? With new resolve, he rode on to the edge of the city. Meanwhile, a sum of 450 gold marks was dispatched to the king's men at York. With the booty was a note. This tax of 450 gold marks was raised from the people of Sherwood. We give it willingly for the return of good King Richard. It is delivered to you on the order of Robin Hood and must be used for nothing else. The Sheriff of Nottingham sat at the dinner table in his castle. Even with a money-grabbing wife and an outlaw loose in his lands, he was a pretty contented man. Life was good. He was rich and he enjoyed the fine things in life. When the abbot and his men were brought to him, he wasn't best pleased. He was even less pleased when he found out why they were there. He would have been perfectly happy to have supplied a body of men in return for 450 gold marks, but he wasn't even going to consider it in return for no gold marks at all. He laughed when the abbot tried to tell him that it was for the good of the county and for England. Ah, you expect me to do it for nothing, he guffawed. They say Guy of Gisborne tried with 50 men and they were sent out of the forest by Robin and his men. Even Sir Isambart couldn't manage the task of retrieving a maiden, You are surely jesting if you think I will help you. Now go away and let me enjoy my meal. 
Abbot Hugo took a different tack. I'll pay you 250 gold marks. You can have it when the job is done and Sherwood is free of outlaws. More laughing was met with an increased offer. Even more laughing was met with another. Eventually the sheriff agreed to send 80 men to Sherwood to do the task in return for 400 marks from the abbot and all of the reward money for Robin, Little John, Will Scarlet and the rest. He demanded payment in advance. This he got a few days later, sending one of his own men in disguise to collect it. Once the money was safely in his castle, the sheriff set out with his man Hubert and 80 armed soldiers. He didn't believe Robin had over 100 men at his command, reckoning on 40 or so. 80 armed men, led properly, could take them with ease. The sheriff split the men in two. He led his 40 men through Loxley Farm and into the forest. Hubert led the rest straight in by the direct route from Nottingham. They had arranged to meet at the Dark Mere, a great pond in the depths of the forest. The sheriff thought it safer to go in two lots. Only one could then be successfully ambushed by 40 men clad only in Lincoln Green. The sheriff and his men saw nobody. Not a soul seemed to be present in the forest. Nobody, that is, until he came upon two ragged charcoal burners. Their features were masked by the black of the charcoal, so that even their families may not have recognised them. The sheriff handled them roughly and demanded to know the whereabouts of Robin Hood. Well, said the younger one, I've heard he got wind of your arrival and ran away to Yorkshire with his men. I heard this from a great fat friar. Headed north, he said, although he may have been lying, as fat friars do. And then the sheriff committed his fateful mistake. He pressed a single gold coin into the hands of each man and spoke urgently. Tonight I meet the rest of my men by the dark mere. If you hear any more about Robin Hood and his men, if you learn where they are, come and tell me. The burners solemnly agreed. The sheriff rode off, feeling confident. As they watched him go, Will Scarlet and Much the Miller's son looked after them. As soon as the sheriff and his men were out of sight, they both collapsed into fits of giggles. Will patted his young friend on the back and congratulated him on being a very fine liar. Then they both hurried back to the darkest part of the forest and told Robin Hood what had happened. Will Scarlet almost died with laughter when he told them about Much's tale of the fat friar. Friar Tuck was not best pleased and dealt the young man a swift blow with his staff. After this minor contretemps, Robin told all of the men to make themselves scarce. Neither Hubert nor the sheriff would find anyone in the forest that day. They would carry out their plans when the hunting party had reached the dark mere, and daylight was a thing of the past. An hour or so before dusk, the two parties met at the dark mere. As the sun dropped below the horizon and the blackness descended on the invaders, the soldiers began to become spooked. They had heard the tales of Sir Guy and how his men had been beaten by the pixies. Mutterings were heard. Men say a dragon lurks in the mere. Yes, and the fairies took the smith of Barnsdale and led him round and round a tree all night. Then, right on cue, came the sound of demon laughter. Oh, tis the pixies and the bogles. Now we'll all be bewitched unless the dragon gets us first. They stared into the dark forest, but saw, of course, nothing. The sheriff, who was made of slightly sterner stuff, took ten men into the trees to search for the source of the laughter. Of course, they found nothing. Nothing to fear here, men, he said when he returned. This is just outlaw trickery. Again the laughter rang out, this time even more demonic. Even the sheriff was spooked. He made the sign of the cross and wished he'd brought a priest with him. More laughter, darker and more booming than before. The sheriff commanded his men to make camp and get some sleep. He posted eight sentries and told the remainder of his troops that they must rest. 
He himself sat awake and hoped he was right about Robin only having 40 men or so. He certainly no longer believed the merry men had run to Yorkshire. A couple of hours after dark, the sheriff went to walk round the sentries to give them an encouraging word or two. He approached the first and began his pep talk. The words froze in his mouth. He wasn't talking to an armed soldier. He was putting steel into the heart of a scarecrow. Where once there had been a man-at-arms, now there was a straw dummy. Quickly the Sheriff of Nottingham checked the other seven. All were the same. The Sheriff was, by now, as frightened as his men. He called out to the lost sentries, but of course there was no reply. He retreated and returned to the rest of the men. Not one of them was still asleep. Now we're all lost, said one. The Sheriff opened his mouth to reply, but not a sound emerged. There was no point in posting any more sentries, even if there had been volunteers, which there most certainly weren't, the chances of them surviving unmolested was minimal. Nobody had seen what had happened to the eight. They had disappeared noiselessly. The best they could hope for was to stay awake en masse for the rest of the night. This they decided to do. They shuddered together in fear until one caught sight of a figure on the shore of the dark mere, and then another, and then another, and two more. He pointed and screamed, knowing in his heart he had seen the pixies of Sherwood. The sheriff, conquering his own fear, got up and shouted, Outlaws! Get them! He drew his sword and ran towards the figures. Hubert followed. Not one other man did. When a few let their duty overcome their cowardice and drew their own arms and followed, they were too late. When they got to the place where they'd last seen their leaders, there was no sign of them. Both the sheriff and Hugo had disappeared as completely as the sentries. To Robin Hood, none of this was a mystery. He and his men had grabbed the two men, and silently slipped black heavy cloth over them. Then they had stunned each with a swift blow. Gags were slipped into their mouths so they'd been unable to cry out, even when they woke up. Then they were carried to Robber's Glade and laid down beside their eight colleagues. There they stayed until morning. Back at the dark mere, the sheriff's men muttered to each other about pixies and bogles and dragons. They debated whether they should wait where they were or go and find their masters. Deciding they weren't quite brave enough for either of these courses of action, they came upon the only solution that appealed to them all. They tramped back through the forest and onto the main road. Then the bedraggled bunch made their way back to Nottingham, where they told their sorry tale. The sheriff's wife raged at the brave bunch, calling them cowards and worse than useless. Then she went out and bought four dresses made of the finest black silk. She could wear them in mourning for her husband if he was dead. Or if he wasn't, she could brighten them up with some rich ermine fur and wear them in the autumn. Either way, she had acquired four nice dresses, and they really were made from the highest quality silk. These acquisitions eased her sorrow, rather too easily. Meanwhile, all of Nottingham talked about the men being carried off by invisible hands. There was talk of arranging another large band of men to go in the forest and find their lost leaders and comrades. But everyone thought somebody else should go in the retrieval party, rather than them. So there wasn't one. Back in Sherwood, the Sheriff of Nottingham woke up. His head hurt. He looked about him and saw that he wasn't alone. Bound up near him were Hubert and the eight sentries. He tried to move, but his own bindings were too well tightened. Robin Hood stood above him. Make no attempt to escape, said the leader of the outlaws. If you try, you will receive an arrow to the head. Instead, come and dine with us. If you don't, I will starve your men here until you agree to eat. And you, Hubert, you can dine at the top table too. You who have killed a man just because he was a Saxon, you will feed with us tonight. 
Both the sheriff and his right-hand man knew there was no refusing. The sentries didn't want to refuse. They were hungry, and the smell of roasting venison wafted over their bound forms. And so, to the joy of the merry men, the sheriff of Nottingham and nine of his men ate dinner that night in Robber's Glade. Ravenous as they were, none of them ate as much as did Friar Tuck and Little John. One was wide, the other tall. Both of them put away a lot more than was good for them. When the meal was over, Robin Hood spoke to the monk. Well, Brother Michael, what do you think our guests should pay for the fine fare they have received this evening? I think it's only fair, my lord, replied the friar, brushing away the remnants of a venison sandwich from his lips, that he should pay the reward which has been placed on your head. Fifty gold marks for his dinner. And if he will not pay, then little John must have his wish and our guest must hang. But I don't have any money here, protested the sheriff. Then you may bring it within three days, replied Robin. Sir, blustered little John, we must keep a hostage to ensure that we get our due. Good point, my small friend. Hubert will stay here with us. The sheriff will swear by the cross hilt of my sword in the presence of God that he will pay fifty marks and put it by the dead oak by the dark mere within three days. If he does, then Hubert goes free. If he fails, then Hubert will hang. And we will do one more thing. Marion, fetch me an ink and a quill. The Lady of Sherwood did as she was asked. She also brought an arrow. On the shaft of that arrow, Sheriff, you will sign your name. The Sheriff, glad he was being given the chance to get away from his host's clutches, did just that. Robin nodded his approval. Sheriff, there is a ward of fifty gold marks on my head. You have come into my domain to hunt me down and kill me. I have been nice so far, but now my generosity ends. If you move against me again, then this arrow, which has your name on it, will be sent to pierce your terrible heart. I will keep it here in my quiver, ever ready to loose it and strike you. Now, go back to Nottingham, return in three days with my fifty marks, or Hubert here dies. I have sworn, and I will deliver, replied the sheriff. All day the Lord of Nottingham stayed in Robber's Glade. Only when it was pitch dark was he escorted away, bound and gagged, to the outskirts of the forest. Even then he was taken away with a sack over his head, as were his eight sentries. There would be no way they would ever find the outlaw's home. When they'd reached the main road, the sacks were ripped off. The outline of Nottingham could be seen in the distance. The sheriff and his men were released and allowed to make their ways home. When they arrived, they told the whole story. Abbot Hugo heard about the release. He sent a note to the sheriff telling him that his oath was not a Christian one and he was not bound by it. The fifty marks, he said, were not payable under the gaze of the Lord. The sheriff, thinking only of himself, allowed himself to believe that it was therefore okay not to take the promised amount into the forest and lay it under the dead oak near the dark mere. And so he didn't. And four days later, he wished he had. On the fourth morning after his return to the city, the sheriff gazed out over the walls. He saw a rather unusual structure about a hundred yards from the gate. When he went down to investigate, his blood ran cold. The structure was a gallows. From its outstretched arm hung a figure well known to the sheriff. It was Hubert. Pinned to his right-hand man's breast was a piece of parchment, which his porter carefully removed and read out loud. To the High Sheriff of Nottingham, Since you cannot keep your word, then I will keep mine. This murderer who hangs before you has been punished as he deserves, and the arrow which bears your name is now enriched with power. Beware. The sheriff gulped. He vowed the next time he tried to take on the might of Robin Hood and his merry men, he would take four hundred men with him. 
Meanwhile, the fame of his enemy spread far and wide, from the Midland counties all the way down to London. The fame of Robin Hood and the outlaws of Sherwood Forest spread. Everyone in the land had heard of the man who robbed from the rich and corrupt and gave to the poor and needy. Soon, poems and ballads about the deeds of the great Robin Hood were spreading through the Saxon folk. Next time, Robin meets a man from Wakefield, and yet another merry man is added to the band. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>